All right. Well, good morning, River Tree. I'm excited to teach with you today. We are in week two of this series we've been in called Seven Deadly Sins and Seven Loving Acts. And what we're doing over this seven weeks is we are diving back into about 2,000 years of people following Jesus, and they've identified seven deadly sins that have tripped up Christians for thousands of years, that have stopped them from knowing Jesus. And so what we want to do each week is pick one, dig into them, dive into them, and identify not just what that sin is and how it can ruin our lives, but then what is the loving act that Jesus wants us to do now to start walking closer to Him. So who's excited about that today? All right, let me show you the list of the seven deadly sins, and as you look at those, I want to ask you this question. If I were your enemy, how would I take you out? If I were your enemy, how would I take you out? Would it be the sin of anger, lust, pride, greed, gluttony, sloth? Envy. If I were your enemy, how would I take you out? Some of you are thinking all of them. I've, I've done all of them. Like I, he would take me out with all of them. Some of you, there's like one of them. It's like blinking on that screen right now. And I want you to know that there's nothing new under the sun. If you're a human being and you have a sinful DNA, unfortunately, you probably have wrestled with these things. But what we need to do is wake up in the morning and say, listen, I woke up on mission with Jesus, and so I've got an enemy, and he does want to take me out, and I'm not going to let him do it. And that's why we're doing this series today. And so when we were looking through the list, I was really excited. I said, Pastor Jeremy, what weekend do I get to teach on? And he said, the sin of lust. I thought, great, okay. And I'm just going to be real with you right up front. That would be the sin that takes me out. And it's been something I've been wrestling with since I was a teenager, and I want you to hear this today, especially if you uh, have been locked in the grip of sexual sin and lust, I want you to know that I know firsthand that Jesus Christ can free you from that. That he has more grace than you've got sin in that way, that he's got more strength than you've got weakness in that way, and that I have experienced victory in Jesus Christ in my life over that, and I've walked with many, many men over the years that have struggled with this, that have let, let sin and the sin of lust and shame push them down, and they haven't fully engaged with the Christian life, and I want you to know that Jesus can free you from that. You can go to a whole nother level, and I think Jesus wants to do that with many of you today. So we're going to dig into the sin of lust, but more importantly than that, we're going to look at how Jesus can help you overcome that sin today. And so we're going to look into this passage I've been studying for a couple weeks. It's in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you've got a device, go ahead and look that up, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, And I want to give you a little context. Uh, Thessalonica was a young church. And so Paul wanted them to know that once they were saved, once they were forgiven for their sins by Jesus, that they were just getting started. Everybody say, I'm just getting started. You're just getting started. Like when you're saved from your sins, that's amazing. When you're baptized and you show it publicly, that's amazing. But God wants you to know that you are a work in progress. In fact, it's a very, very New Testament biblical thing to say that you are a piece of work. In fact, just so that you get this in your head, turn to the person next to you and just say, hey, you're a real piece of work. It's in the Bible. You're a real piece of work. And you're going to see in this passage that he uses a big theological term that means that we're all a big piece of work called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. 
This means that God's not done with you. That's what that word means, that you're not done yet, that you might be saved, but now he wants to sanctify you, that we're all a work in progress. And what you're going to notice right away is that the first thing that Paul focuses on when he says that you're a work in progress is their sexual life. The first thing that Paul focuses on is their sexual life. And I think that this is a word for somebody here today. Are you going to let Jesus be the Lord of your sexual life too? Like I know that maybe you've been serving and giving and loving and, and getting in the word and praying and worshiping and out there, but there's somebody listening to me today that you have not, let, yet, not yet let Jesus Christ be Lord of your sexual life. And what he's asking you today is, are you going to let me be the boss of that too? Are you going to let me be the Lord of that too? Are you going to let me call the shots now and drive in that area of your life too? Because when you signed up to be saved, what I really want you to get as you signed up to give all of you to me. That's what Jesus is saying to you. And today he's asking some of you, are you going to let Jesus be the Lord of your sexual life Two, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what Paul says. It's God's will that you should be what? Sanctify. It means you're work in progress. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Everybody say honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. What I want you to notice in that passage is that Paul makes a distinction between Christians and people that are not yet Christians in one major way. What is it? Their sexual life. He says, I don't want you to be a person that just looks at somebody else with passionate lust. I don't want you to look at somebody else as an object for your own selfish sexual gratification. I don't want you to look at other people anymore because you follow Jesus as a commodity, as a transaction, as somebody that you can just use up with your eyes or use up with your body because I now am changing who you are and in this work in progress that you are, I want you to learn to value people the way that I value them. Everybody say value. That word honorable is an important word that he says. Instead, he says, of taking advantage of your brother or sister, I want you to live in a way that's holy, that means set apart, and honorable. That word honorable means recognizing the value that they have. I want you to live in a way that recognizes the value of the person across the table from you at work. I want you to live in a way where when you see another human being, guy or girl, that you see them with the value that God sees them with. Because we live in a world that has devalued people. And guys, that's what lust does. Lust devalues the person sitting across from you to being just an, an object of your own sexual gratification, a commodity, a transaction, a person to be used up and to be spit out. And he says, that's not the way that God views you. And now that you're following Jesus Christ, now that you know God, this is going to change in you. It's going to change in you. And my friends, if you can become a person that defeats this sin of lust, you will stand out in this culture. If you can let Jesus be the Lord of your sexual life too, you will stand out in this culture. You will be set apart because we live in a world that does not value people the way that God does, right? In almost 1500, Christopher Columbus discovered pineapples. 
On his travels, he discovered this exotic fruit, these pineapples. He'd never seen them before, and he brought them back to Spain. And the people in Spain had never seen pineapples before. They thought, this is amazing. This, what is that thing? It's like exotic, this, this fruit, this pineapple. And pineapples uh, were in such high demand and low supply because no one had ever seen them before that pineapples became very, very, very expensive. The value on a pineapple was very, very high. A pineapple is seen as something for only the very wealthy. Only the extravagant, only the people that could afford such a thing. They were so expensive, they were worth almost $8,000 in today's money. So people that were really wealthy, they would want to show off their wealth, and so they would rent pineapples. They would rent pineapples, and they would take them to parties. And they would carry them around to show off their wealth and how much they could afford, uh, how much value this had and that they could afford it. And they, they would take them to parties and they would put them as centerpieces at the parties. And they wouldn't eat them, they would just stare at them. They would watch them like we watch TV. And they would just stare at them and go, wow, that's like so expensive, that's like so amazing, that's like so exotic. You must be so wealthy to have that pineapple. Can you imagine if people from the 1500s and 1600s could go with you to the grocery store this week, could go with you to Meyer, or go with you to Acme, could go with you to the grocery store, and they'd see a pile of these sitting there. And they go, whoa, $2.99? What do you mean $2.99? How could something so expensive now be so cheap? I thought that was $8,000. How could it be $2.99? Guys, how could it be $2.99? Everybody say common. Yeah, what was rare is now common. What was exotic and expensive is now cheap. What was something that was unique and one of a kind and you barely saw it and only a few could have it, now everybody can have it. It's common. It's not rare. It's, it's cheap. Guys, that's what lust does. That's what the sin of lust does to the gift of sex that God gave to us. Did you know that God loves sex? In fact, I'm, I, just to make you uncomfortable today, I want you to say that with me on the count of three. Everybody say it. One, two, three. God loves sex. He loves it. He created it. It's his idea. He loves it. He created it. It's his idea. But what sin does is it takes something that God created and that God loves, God loves, and it twists it around and messes it up just a little bit. That's what God wanted with sexuality. He wanted it to be something that was rare and unique and one of a kind until death and with one person forever to be enjoyed where we would worship God through that. But our sin inside of us has made something that is rare, cheap, and common. And the value of sexuality has gone from 8,000 to what? 299. The way that we view people has gone from a value of 8,000 to 299. We live in a world where people are now just objects for our own sexual gratification. We just view them as somebody to be used up and spit out as a transaction, as a commodity, as an easy come, as an easy go, as a hit it and quit it culture, as a it's just my body, it's just sex, who cares? That's not the way that God made sex to be. 
But what lust does, the sin of lust in us, is it devalues another human being so that we see them in a very devalued way. How do I know that? Well, like you, I see all the stats. 50% or more of marriages will end in divorce. 8,000 to 299. Cohabitation, living together, even if you're not married, it's a normal thing in our culture. What is that? 8,000 to 299. Porn is everywhere, guys. We can view and see sex at the click of a button whenever we want, however we want, with whomever we want to. Your children, if they're teenagers, have probably been bombarded with more sexual images on their phones in one day than the previous two generations before them in their entire teenage years. We are surrounded by a culture that has made the icon of the body that was meant to point to Jesus an idol that we've bowed down and worshipped. The icon has become an idol, and so we've devalued sex and brought it from 8,000 down to 2.99. And I just wonder if Jesus showed up as a human being, if he looked around and saw how uh, uh, sexual love, eros, was completely cut off from agape, perfect love that God made it to be. I just wonder if he saw that and it would pain him. I just wonder if he saw that and he would go, whoa, how did that become so cheap? It was so expensive. I, di- I made it to be expensive and rare and important. How has it become so common and cheap? Wait, he did do that. God did do that. I want you to know today, if you're struggling with the sin of lust, that's why God came here, so that you could be free of that. And he did walk among us, and he did see that in his culture in the first century, and he sees it right now in the century we're in. And in his first sermon, guess what he talked about, guys? The sin of lust, yep. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter 5 about it. He said, you've heard the command that says, you must not commit adultery, but I say that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her In his heart. Everybody say, in his heart. See, I want you to notice that right away Jesus raises the bar here. He doesn't just talk about outside stuff. He talks about inside stuff. When God comes to earth, he knows that the thing that will change us is not the outside actions. It's the inside heart. If you today want to be free from the sin of lust, he wants to start on the inside, not the outside. He says, you guys are focusing on people having affairs and sleeping around. I'm not talking about that. I'm even talking about how you look at people. I'm talking about what's happening deep inside your heart. Guys, if you're struggling with the sin of lust, if you've been hurt by the sin of lust, if you see exactly what I'm talking about out there, it's because we got a heart problem. Guys, we need clean hearts. We need a new heart. We need the heart that that Jesus had. And I'm so thankful that Jesus showed up not to take like lust does, but to give. For God so loved the world that he... Gave. He wanted to show us a different kind of love. He wanted to show us a love that loves us totally and completely and freely and faithfully and forever. Lust chops people up and makes them a commodity. God's agape love puts it all back together and says, I love you totally, freely, faithfully, forever. That's who our God is. That's who Jesus is. That's why he came. He came to show us that love 
Guys, I want you to know that Jesus, he doesn't just want your money. Jesus doesn't just want your intellect or your talents or your time to serve uh, or, or your body. Jesus wants you. Jesus shows a God that wants you. Yes, he wants you. He wants you totally. He wants you faithfully. He wants you freely. He wants you forever. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. Because he wants you that way. And he made us in his image so that we would value other people like that. Jesus is the same God who made Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve weren't just in it for the sex. They weren't just in it for the security. They weren't just in it to have a friend. They weren't just in it for the kids someday. They were in it totally, freely, faithfully, and forever. Why? Because their agape was fused with their arrows. Because they knew this love from God so they could love each other. That's what God can do with you today. That's how he can change it around on the inside. You just have to experience his perfect love for you. How do I know this? Well, as I often say to my wife Susie, my favorite verse in the Bible, Susie, this is how I know this. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. What does it say? Now the man and his wife were both naked. Say it like you love it. Come on, guys. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. See, this is what happens when we're in the presence of agape, perfect love that loves us totally, freely, faithfully, and forever. We're naked, but we don't have any shame. And naked just didn't mean physically here. They knew each other, and they had no fear of being hurt or used or manipulated or pieced out because they were so connected with God and each other. This is the way that God wants us to value each other. So what happened? Well, you guys know the story. The perfect agape love that Jesus came to show us that we were meant to have for each other, it got replaced by sin. Sin entered into the human DNA, and as soon as that happened, totally, freely, faithfully, and forever got taken out, and sin got put in. And here's the very first thing that those first two human beings noticed when sin entered the equation. Check this out in Genesis 3, verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So what they do? They sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. You guys see that? So they noticed like, oh my gosh, I'm naked. And the first thing they did was cover up. The first thing they did was they looked across at another human being and for the first time in history they thought, they can hurt me now. I'm going to like put a wall up here because you can hurt me now. You can manipulate me now. You can use me as a commodity now. You can not love me totally, freely, faithfully, and forever. That's what sin does, guys. That's why we look at people that way. That's why we hurt people that way. Sin makes us put walls up. And as I'm talking right now, I know many of you know this. You know the effects of sin like Adam and Eve did. When they realized that they could no longer just make love, they could make lust too. Many of you listening to me have been hurt by the sin of lust. How has the sin of lust hurt you? Put a wall up in your life. No matter how much you love God, how has the sin of lust caused you to hurt other people? 
use other people, no matter how much you love God. See, what lust does is it, it treats other people like we treat our phones. I was going to bring in all my old phones today. You have that junk drawer with all your old phones in it? There's like a lot of them. You know, like the drawer is overflowing with them. There's all these old versions of the phone. That's what lust does. It treats people like those phones. Like we just use them, and then we use them, and then they get slower, and then they don't work like they used to, and then we just get rid of them and we go get an upgrade. The sin of lust just uses people until we find something better, and then we just go get an upgrade. But that's why we're here, right? We're here today because Jesus gives us another way. We're here today because we have this God that didn't leave us in the sin of lust. Like he came to earth because he wanted to show us something different. For God so loved the world that he didn't take, but he gave. He came to show us a love that we don't know yet. He came to say, this is how you do it differently. And I'm not just going to show you. I'm going to die on a cross to take every place where you've been hurt by lust in my body on the cross. And I'm going to take every place where you've hurt somebody else through the sin of lust. And I'm going to take it in my body in the cross. So that when I rise from the dead, when you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning at River Tree Jackson, you can say, God, I need a new heart that's yours. You can have the old one. Because I want to look at people with the value that they actually have from now on. If that's your prayer today, I want to give you good news. Jesus wants to do that with you today. And he wants to do it by starting with a pure heart. Everybody say a pure heart. See, a pure heart is the antidote to the sin of lust. I could give you today a a list of like 10 things to go do, and that might be good, and we can talk about that if you want to, but you got to start with a pure heart. you got to start deep on the inside, and when you have a pure heart, you can have a renewed mind, and when you have a renewed mind, you can look at people different, and when you can look at people different, then you can really love them. When you can have a pure heart, then you can have a renewed mind. When you have a renewed mind, then you can look at him and her differently. And when you can look at him and her differently, then you can really love them. So I went down to my hometown this week, and I shot a video because I wanted to get a picture in your head of what happens when we have a pure heart and we begin to have a renewed mind. Watch this. It'll show you. Okay, so River Tree, we've been talking about the deadly sin of lust and the loving act of cultivating a pure heart, a pure heart. And the first thing I want you to hear about as we talk about cultivating now a pure heart is that you have to shut down the road. Everybody say, shut down the road. That's right, shut down the road. And uh, behind me is a road uh, that was shut down. This is near where I grew up. Uh, It's actually near where uh, a fresh water spring, I would come here with my grandpa and uh, we would get the water right over there, and then we would drive down this road to leave. And uh, for various reasons, they decided to shut this road down. The good news I wanna give you as you think about cultivating a pure heart is that you can shut down the roads that have been formed in your brain that have viewed other people as an object for your selfish gratification. Remember, lust is viewing other people, not with the value that God gave them, but just as simply a means to our own selfish ends, as a transaction, as a commodity that we use up for our own selfish pleasure. 
A lot of times what this means is, is when uh, people are binging out on pornography, what are they doing? They're, they're viewing the people on that screen as an object for their selfish sexual gratification. This happens with uh, boyfriends and girlfriends. This happens when we look across the table with somebody at our jobs and we just view them as a means to our own ends. This happens even in marriages, guys, where we view our spouse with the lust of our eyes, which remember, doesn't come from the Father, but it comes from this world. When we view them as a, an object of our selfish gratification. Now, every time that you and I have done that, when we've decided to um, act uh, in a lustful, sinful way towards other people, there's a road that begins to form in our brains that says that that's okay. And for many of us, it started way back when we were younger and that road was just a little trail that started. But then you kept doing the act and maybe you kept justifying it and saying, well, I deserve this or it's not going to hurt anybody or it's no big deal. And every time you did that act, that little trail became a bigger road and that bigger road became a paved road. And that paved road became a super highway in your brain that told you that viewing another person as an object for your selfish sexual gratification was okay. So you actually begin to believe that the sin you're doing is okay. The good news I want to give you today is that if you really want it, God can shut down that road in your brain. And he can begin to, to form new roads that view other people the way that God sees them. He can do that in you today. Romans chapter 12 says, don't conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What that means is that the Holy Spirit can begin to uh, transform the way that you think. He can shut down those roads of lust, the lust of your eyes that viewed people the wrong way, and he can begin to build new roads. And so I'm going to give you some practical ways now that you can do that. So the first thing that I want you to hear about, if you're in that place where you're like, I need a pure heart, I get it, I want to have a renewed mind, I want to shut down that road and build new ones, is this verse from 2 Timothy 2.22. It's easy to remember, 2 Timothy 2.22, this is a verse that I'll always share with guys that I'm walking with through this battle, and uh, it says two things here. It says, run from anything. Everybody say, run from anything. That means anything. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue. Everybody say pursue. Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship if those who call on, a Lord, on the Lord with pure hearts. So I want you to think about now practically, if you really want to have a pure heart and a renewed mind and shut down that road and build a new one, what are the things that you need to run away from? You probably already have it in your head. What are the things that you need to run away from? Who are the people that you need to run away from? If you're around people that just use other people, you're probably not going to change and be a person that doesn't use other people. And so who are the people that you're like, I need to actually start running with people that are calling out of the, on the Lord out of a pure heart? That's the first thing. The second thing uh, isn't friends, it's your phone. What do you need to run away from on your phone? Very practically, for some of you today, you need to finally put that accountability software on your phone. I have uh, covenant eyes on all my devices. My son has covenant eyes on all his devices. You say, Pastor Jason, like, do you really need that? 
No. But a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, when you're all not here, and I'm not preaching on the sin of lust that week, and I'm just like you, and I'm idle, and I'm scrolling through, and that thing hits that says, you know, you can look at somebody as an object of your own sexual gratification instead of the value that God's given them. Guess what? No, I can't. Because that will stop you from doing it. Guys, some of you today, that's the first thing you need to do. That's running from. That's running from anything. Some of you today, you need to start running with people that are going to help you. And that leads me to this second one. It's all about the word confession. Everybody say confession. Confess your sin both to God and to someone else regularly. I want this to become a, a new rhythm in your life, like all the time, not just when it gets bad, like all the time. I want you to confess your sin both to God and to someone else regularly. Here's why. Sin grows in the dark. Sin grows in the dark. This sin of lust in particular is something where if you feel shame and embarrassment about it, you're not going to tell a bunch of people. It's going to be in the dark. But here's what that does to you. You'll love God in every other area of your life, but you won't really engage at 100 because you have this shame that's holding you back. But when you bring what's in the dark out into the light with God and somebody else, I'm telling you, it changes everything. It's a supernatural, spiritual thing that happens in your heart when you confess your sin both to God and somebody else. It brings salvation and healing, healing and salvation. Salvation and healing, healing and salvation. Now, some of you, when it comes to the sin of lust, you've been confessing for salvation to God all the time. This, this is from uh, James chapter 5, 16, and Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Here's this confession to God. Look at the Romans verse. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Some of you, you're, you're confessing to God like this all the time. James, Jesus' brother, says confession is this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you would be healed. So when I confess to God, I'm saved. When I confess to somebody else, I am healed. Some of you, you've been confessing to God on this sin of lust like almost every weekend here. You come before God and you go, God, I did it again. Ugh. I'm so sorry. God, please forgive me. And you know what God is saying? I forgive you. Like, I forgive you. Like, all of that sin back there, all that sin right now, and all that sin that you'll ever do, I forgive you. But what he's saying to you now is you don't just need to confess to me. You need to go confess to them. You don't just need salvation. You need to heal now. And your healing comes when you take all that stuff in the dark and you bring it out into the light with another brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, it, it completely crushes the power of sin in your life. When you do that, your brother or sister can simply say, let's just take that to the cross and you don't have to carry that anymore. Today, some of you need to confess for healing. You've been confessing for salvation, but you need to confess for healing to a brother or sister. Some of you, it's the other way around. Some of you have been confessing to other people about this stuff for a long time. You go see a counselor. You've got three or four friends you talk pretty openly about this stuff with. But you have not yet confessed to God for your real salvation in this way. And that's a really hard thing that I want to ask you this morning. Have you let Jesus be the Lord of your sexual life yet? I'm not talking about talking about it with everybody else. I'm talking about coming to God and saying, God, I surrender 
this area of my life to you. I'm desperate for you to heal me because I can't heal myself. I'm desperate for you to take this heart that is not pure and these roads that view people as an object and I'm desperate for you to give me a pure heart and I'm desperate for you to shut that road down and build a new one. When you do that, something's going to happen in you where all of those people you're meeting with, they'll change even how you meet with them. Today, some of you, you don't need healed, you need saved. Your salvation begins with your sexuality this morning. This whole time as I've been writing this message, I've been thinking about a guy that loved God with all his heart. A guy that did so many things for God. He was a warrior for God. He, let, he, like, he like routed armies for his God. He loved God so much. He became the leader of God's people and the government, and he, and he led them well. He loved them well. And he was a man that was after God's heart in all those things. This guy was a worshiper, man. He was a worship leader. He wrote worship songs. He was a guy with his hands raised in the front that was acting crazy. It even tells us that he danced undignified before God. He didn't even care what people thought. This guy was a man after God's heart. He was a warrior for God, a leader for God. He did so many things for God. But he didn't need to be a man that was after God's heart. He needed a clean heart. Because when he should have been out doing God's work, instead, he wasn't scrolling. He was just walking on the roof. And in that idle time, he looked out and he saw, it says, a beautiful woman bathing. And it says that he didn't just see her, he saw her. You know what I mean? He didn't just see her, he saw her. Like he saw her, like he kept looking. And at some point in that transaction, the sin of lust took over and he decided in his mind, it's okay if I use her as an object for my own sexual gratification. And so King David used his power to go get her and make her come to his palace. And he slept with her and she got pregnant. This man after God's own heart that did all these great things for God, he let the sin of lust take over and he got her pregnant. And then sin grows in the where? In the dark. So he tried to hide and he tried to cover the whole thing up. And he sent her husband out to the front lines of the fighting so that he would be murdered. And so that all looked clean then, he just took her into his house and he made Bathsheba his wife. And he had the friends. He had Nathan the prophet who went to him and said, bro, you can't, this is not okay. You can't do this. This is wrong. He had people that loved him like that. But he didn't need healing. He needed salvation, guys. He needed to give his sexual life over to Jesus. He needed salvation. And I know I'm talking about King David, but many of you listening to me today, this might as well be your story. You're listening to me right now and you love God with all your heart and it shows. You are generous for him. You are serving for him. You are discipling people for him. You are here to worship and it's real. You are in your word. You are doing so much out there for him, but you are still a slave to sexual sin and you know it. And you don't need healing. You need saved today. Your salvation begins with eros. Your salvation begins with your sexual life. 
And if that's you today, I want you to know that that's why Jesus Christ came and died for you, to forgive you for that and to save you from that and to give you his heart, which is totally pure and totally clean and totally sees people with the value that they have. So if that's you today, I just want you to see this worship song that David wrote when he knew he needed salvation. They're powerful words if you're in that spot. Look at what he said in Psalm 51. And if this is you today, I want you to pray this quietly with David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that are crying out to you right now for a clean heart. I thank you, God, for their courage to be desperate and real. And I ask you, Father, that by the power of that same Holy Spirit that you gave to Jesus to rise from the dead, that you would now give them a completely clean, pure, and new heart in the name of Jesus. That they would begin to see their spouse and their boyfriend and their girlfriend and their friends and the people they just see out, they would see them with the value that you have given those people. I pray, Lord, that you would raise the heart value in them from 299 to 8,000 in this moment, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you that you can free us from this sin of lust. I ask that you would make all of the people that are connected to River Tree, that you would make us holy and honorable, Lord, in this moment. That we would walk out of here, Lord, and we would begin to see people the way you see them. And Lord, bring people across our path that need set free. Help us to be good news to them. We just thank you for the great love you have for us, Lord, that doesn't give up on us. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.